Welcome to the Holmesville Church of the Brethren. This is the worship service for March 20th, 2022. Join me in the call to worship. Come, all who are thirsty. Come, all who are seeking. Come, all who are waiting. Come, all who labor. Come, all who need rest. Come, all who dream dreams. Come, whether you're old or young, confident or curious, lonely or hopeful. This is God's house. All are welcome here. Let us worship Holy God. pray. God of fig trees and foxes, of today and tomorrow, we would like to ask that you scoop us up. Pick us up like a great gust of wind. Startle us awake like a first love. Light a fire in us like tomorrow depends on today. Do all of this to get our attention and then turn us toward you. We are a scattered people, God. The world is moving faster than we can keep up. So we pray, scoop us up, catch our eye, open our ears, capture our attention. We are here. We long to be close to you. Amen. Our prayer hymn is I Will Change Your Name. It is written by D.J. Butler and in this version is sung by Wiley Beveridge. I will 
I will change
Join me in prayer. Holy God, we treat our self-worth like something that can be bought at a store, but you know this even better than we do. Instead of trusting that we are made good, instead of trusting that we are loved exactly as we are, we stockpile our value in earthly things, in trophies and awards, in likes and follows, in wealth and power. Forgive us for creating our own measuring stick. Heal our open wounds and tell our hearts that we won't be forgotten if we slow down. We won't be forgotten if we rest. Gratefully we pray. Amen. Our scripture is Luke 13, 1 through 9. At that very time there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is teaching and healing as he goes, but his face is set toward the holy city. And then, as now, people bring up the latest news stories. The tyrant governor, Pilate, had committed yet another atrocity to add to a long string of his atrocities. He had slaughtered some Galileans, perhaps right there in the temple, and had mingled their human blood with the blood of their sacrifices. The news was whispered by the women around the well. It was spread from house to house by word of mouth. It was discussed by the evening fire. Finally, the news made its way to those around Jesus. It was news to make one's stomach clench to immediately make the heart race with anger and fear. It was the kind of thing nightmares are made of. So the word is past. The word is past. And finally, it passes to Jesus. Jesus immediately catches the meaning behind the meaning. He senses the question that no one is asking, but that everyone is thinking. What did these Galileans do that they should be punished with a death like that? Were they greater sinners than all others, 
that their death should be made an example for all? Most important of all, how can we control things so that we can avoid a death like theirs? But Jesus is not buying into the popular mythology that ruled the thinking of the ancient ones. He is not buying into the philosophy of Job's friends, who told him that surely Job's current troubles were repayment for past sins. No, Jesus says, these people, as well as those crushed by the falling tower, were not more sinful than any others. Stuff happens, he seems to say. But then he adds a caveat that is a bit difficult for us to interpret. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Unless you repent. Jesus does not fall into the blame the victim trap that we still fall into today. Somehow we still think that if we eat right, treat other people with civility, and are honest in our business dealings, maybe while keeping good tires on the car and staying out of debt, we will be spared much of the trouble that seems to afflict the rest of humanity. But Jesus does take advantage of an opening for repentance, the kind of repentance that brings one to a change of heart the kind of repentance that brings one to a change in attitude, bringing the believer to full fruition. Then Jesus tells a story about that kind of repentance. There was a fig tree in a garden, Jesus says. There was a fig tree that a man planted in the middle of his garden, hoping, of course, that in time it would produce figs and he gave it plenty of time. Every year for three years the man had checked for fruit on that tree, and there was none. Finally, in frustration, the landowner told his gardener to cut the tree down. It was worthless. Why should it use up the soil? But the gardener has mercy on the fig tree. Let me work with it, he pleads. Let me dig up the compacted soil around it and fertilize it. It is worth a chance. Then, if it doesn't bear fruit the next year, then you can cut it down. Jesus points us to the meaning of real repentance. Not that we look good and sound good, that we say all the right words and fool others into thinking we have it all together. Real repentance leads to fruit-bearing, and the time is finite. The time actually is now. Throughout the last few weeks, we have been bombarded with images of devastation and disrupted lives. Bombed-out cars and homes have become the stuff of our nightmares. Worst of all, perhaps, is the fact that we can see ourselves in the refugees streaming across the borders. That woman could be my sister. That child could be my grandchild. And we ask why. Sadly, some people still play that horrid blame-the-victim game. 
But I can see no fault in these women, children, and old people fleeing for their lives, just as I can see no fault in those who have fled other places at other times, seeking safety and a chance at life. The idea that we get what we deserve is an outdated notion, one that was completely put to rest when the blameless Jesus died on that cruel Roman cross. But one thing we can see plainly. Life is uncertain. Stuff happens. We only get so much time. The time to live our best lives is now. Now is the only time, in fact, that we have. No matter God's great mercy, no matter that the gardener gives the fig tree one more chance, Christ's call is still to repentance. The Lenten question is this one. What is my standing now before Almighty God? Instead of asking why bad things happen to good people, a more crucial question might be this one. In spite of all the good and bad that comes our way, What is God's call upon my life? In every circumstance of joy and pain, do I trust God to be God? Can I love God completely without linking my love for God to expectations of rewards or punishments? There are no easy answers to life's questions. Jesus does not give us easy answers. The Church of Jesus Christ is not built on easy answers. Instead, it is built on the recognition that in the presence of the God we know in Christ, we get a God whose love in our lives challenges and enables us to live without all the answers. This is a God who is willing to dig around our hearts, patiently encouraging us toward repentance and faithfulness and fruitfulness. We get a God who has given God's whole life to us so that we might learn how to give our lives to God more fully. God's amazing love finds us worthy of such grace. Let us pray. O God, our source and our ultimate destination, in whom we find our worth, give us such confidence in your grace that we may live fully unafraid, turning toward you day by day by day, until we bear your fruit. Amen. Let's join in our affirmation of faith that is printed in the insert of our bulletin. We believe that the God of the cosmos is at work here. We believe that God is fertilizing the soil. We believe that God is planting roots. We believe that God is growing fruit that is yet to be tasted. But until that promised day when the fig tree stands tall and swords are beaten into plowshares, we believe, even when our work does not bear fruit, God still loves us. 
when our soil grows dry and cracked, God still longs for us. When all seems hopeless here on earth, God holds hope for us. The God of the cosmos is at work here. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
receive the benediction. As you leave this place, may you be awestruck by the beauty of this world. May you laugh and may it be contagious. May you overflow with love for those around you. May you be effusive with hope and quick to point out joy. And in all your living and breathing and being, may you find yourself full to the brim with God's Holy Spirit, and may it change your life. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go in peace, full to the brim. Amen.